Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the connect form and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. Well, good morning. I'm going to tell y'all what, y'all look better than I remember. I mean, clearly you do okay in heat. And so I'm grateful that you braved it and that you're here and that we get to talk about somebody today that is found in 2 Kings chapter 4. And I got to confess, this is one of those people that I'm looking forward one day to a meeting in heaven. There's a lot of people I want to talk to one day. And you may have your list. You may want to be, you know, finding Judah, I mean, finding Jonah or finding uh, uh, Peter. And I mean, obviously, I want to spend my first couple of millennials just hanging out with Jesus. But I'm excited about getting to meet some folks that in Scripture were so amazing in their faith, but we never know their name. And this morning, I want to talk to you about a lady And her name is not there, but her faith is. And her faith would impact not only her life, but the lives of her children. And millennia past, we are now still talking about her. And we find her story in 2 Kings chapter 4. I'm very grateful. Uh, Levi Garcia, son of Kenneth and Nayla, uh, uh, illustrated. We've got a picture of the family. We already There it is. Great looking family. And I want to say thank you to Levi for illustrating our message today about four questions. So would you join me in saying thank you to Levi? Amen. Great picture. Great picture. As we think about this story, I want you to think about your own life and answer a question, which is, where are you today in what God is asking you to trust him in. Is there some place in your life where God has been speaking to you and saying to you, it's time to trust me here? Is there a matter of concern? Is there an overwhelming sense of, God, if you don't come and do something, I don't know if I'm going to even be able to take another step. I want you to think about that as we look in 2 Kings chapter 4, and allow me to read this text to you. It says, In verse 1, now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elijah, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elijah said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. And then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourselves and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And she was pouring the oil. They brought vessels to her. And when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. And then the oil stopped flowing, so she came and told the man of God and said, go and sell the oil and pay off your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Let's pray. Now, Father, as we look into 
this moment in time. We're reminded, Father, of a mother's heart that is pierced, that is overwhelmed, that's unsure of the future. And Father, I know that today there are people that are here and they have questions about the future. They have questions about where they are and what's going to happen next. And they need your hand. They need your guidance. So Father, I pray that we would open our hearts and listen to what your Spirit wants to say to us and that we would embrace what you say and take that next step so in our lives we can demonstrate obedience and trust in you alone. For we pray it in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen. 2 Kings 4, look with me at verse 1. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elijah, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be as slaves. And I want you to think of what it would be like if you were at a place in life where suddenly what you had counted on for security was gone. Think about what it would be like when that which you had trusted in or just assumed would be okay suddenly wasn't. You had always had good health, it was gone. You had had enough financial wherewithal, the job has left you. You had friends, they moved. Situations changed. And this woman was in a situation where she was looking and asking God good questions about what is going on. Because she had married a good man. She had married a man that loved her. They had children together. And not only that, he was called into the ministry. He had joined himself. We don't know if it was first Elijah, then Elisha, but he was part of the school of the prophets, like a, a traveling seminary where they would have gone around and would have been taught by the prophet on how to minister before the Lord and to be able to speak to the people the truth of God. And suddenly this woman that had a future in front of her suddenly found herself in a situation where she not only had lost her husband, she had lost her finances. Now, we don't know where his parents are or where her parents are, if they were still alive, available, or even able, but what we know is that she's at a desperate point because as she comes to Elijah, she says, I'm at the place where everything I have has been sold, all the resources I have are gone, I'm in debt, and now the creditor is coming, and by law, he could come in and take my children and press them into service. Now, we can't imagine this, but that's what she was facing. And they could hold them in service up to six years if they followed the law. And imagine what it would feel like as a parent to be at a place where because of perhaps your own choices at points or situations you had no control over, suddenly now my kids are going to be impacted in this horrendous way. What a challenging moment. So she comes to him, and she shares this with him. And I want you to think about this first question Elisha asked her. What shall I do for you? Now, don't jump past that too fast. Because there's times in Scripture where I just want to say, did you listen? She just described her situation. 
And your first question is, what shall I do for you? And here's one of the things I think about when I think about that moment. I think about the reality of what pain does in someone's life or challenge brings to someone's life or heartache brings to someone's life. When you go through struggle, real struggle, when you face significant challenges, when you come to the place where you are almost at your wit's end, here's something I know that happens. You move away from thinking about what you want and you drill into what you need. When somebody is going through a desert and has been three days without water, they're not worried about their outfit. They want to know where they're going to find a puddle to drink from. That's part of what happens when we go through challenge. It clarifies what we really need. Hardship brings clarity. What do you need? And I think about when the disciples asked Jesus, could you teach us to pray just like John's disciples, uh, John the Baptist taught his disciples to, to pray. Lord, can you teach us to pray? And we're given the model prayer there in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. I learned it in the King James Version when I was just a child. And so maybe some of you did too. So I've asked for the words to be on the screen so we could say this together. Let's say it together. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And as you study through the model prayer, one of the things that I would point you to is this. There's a place in that prayer where there's an emphasis given when Jesus said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And a mark of maturity of where you are in your relationship with Christ as you're moving forward is your prayer life quits being marked with just what I want and my will and it moves to thy will. Then I understand that in my life that it's not about just me. It's not just about what I want. It's not just about what, what I'm hoping for. It is a realization that God has put me on this earth for a purpose, that he's given me the opportunity to know him through Christ and to have an intimate relationship with him. And because of that, I want to become more and more like Jesus. And as I walk through this life, I'm not hoping to accumulate what I want. I'm hoping rather to pour out out what he wants so that others can know the Jesus that I know. And I move away from my will to his will. I will tell you, you never get in trouble with his will. But you will find lots of cracks with your will. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I ask you today, as you think about where you are, I ask you, where's your greatest need? Some of us, we're facing a whole different kind of situation than we've faced in a long time. Things have changed in our family, and we're saying, what's going to happen now? Others of us may be in a different kind of job situation, and we're trying to figure out if the company we're with is still going to be there, if the economic indicators are impacting it. 
What's going to happen there? Others of us, there's friends that we thought were friends that hurt our feelings and we're wondering, can I really trust them? Or we have children or grandchildren that we have been praying for because they don't seem to be making the connections that they need to make and some decisions are happening that's a struggle. And you know what it's like to be at a place where you're saying, God, I need to see you. I need them to see your handiwork today. And you know what it is to cry out to the Lord and ask. Well, I just looked at her. His second question was this. What do you have? He went from what do you need and then what do you have? And her response, look at this, 2 Kings 4, he said, tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except for a jar of oil. Let me tell you where we are. The cupboard's bare. The closets are empty. The house, whatever I could sell, it's gone. The only thing I have is this little jar of oil. That's all I have. And I think about that moment, and I think about where Jesus was as he is on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and there was a crowd, thousands of people, more than 5,000 men alone, had gathered together, and Jesus looks at the disciples and he says to them, won't you feed them? You feed them. And they're looking at him, and it's like, are you kidding? We don't have the money for that. We can't feed them. We don't have anything. And then one of them says, well, I'll tell you what, John 6, 9, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? And they just looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, this is all we have. And then what happened? Jesus took that little, little amount of food and he blessed it and he broke it and everybody got fed. They didn't see the value of what they had in hand. All they could see was the enormity of the need. She couldn't see anything other than a small, small jar of oil. But she was about to see God do something amazing. You know what this is? For some of you, this is an a, a, a eye test. This is a paper clip. <laughs> if you guessed the safety pin, you were close. This is a paper clip. Do you know how many of these paper clips are made every year? I do. Do you know how they're used? I do. Because our government funded a study to find out. Feel better? <laughs> what they found out is there's over 11 billion of these paper clips made every year. They also found this out. Only one paper clip out of 20 ever makes it to a piece of paper. <laughs> They're used for lots of purposes. People will take them and they'll bend them into different shapes. Some people use them and bend them to uh, find, you know, to be able to reach in a crack and get a little hook and pull stuff out. 
Other people use them for different purposes. The emergency rooms in every city in this nation will tell you this is not meant to clean your ears. <laughs> but they regularly have to extract them from ears and other orifices, and they would just say, don't do that. Some people bend them out like this, and then they have what is now a reset clip. So that way they can put it in their phone so that they can change out a SIM card or they can reset a clock. Some of you look like you may be old enough that you remember what is called a VCR. <laughs> you would go to your parents' house to see them and it was always blink blinking the same time of day, right? And you could take a paper clip and reset it. Now I'm gonna tell you, I have made my share of reset clips, but there hasn't been one time that when I looked at a paper clip like this, I said, my, what a fine reset clip you are. I think I'm going to keep you forever. You're now going to be my forever bestest, bestest reset clip. Matter of fact, I'm going to put a special hook up in my house so I have a place to hang my clip so that all my friends and neighbors, when they come in, they can see there's Roger's official reset clip. Now, you may have a friend that's strange enough to do that. And if you have a place like that in your house, I would like to ask you to keep it to yourself. <laughs> but the reality is, is that after we use it, we discard it, don't we? Because it's just a paperclip. Well, I think about Kyle McDonald. Kyle McDonald was a Canadian citizen that had a problem. He was in a, a rental that he wanted to get a house. And he was trying to figure out how he could do it. So he was sitting at his computer terminal one day, looked down, and he saw one red paperclip. And so he went onto an online bartering site, and he traded that one red paperclip for a pen that was shaped like a fish. And then he traded it for a doorknob that was rather ornate. He then traded the doorknob for a Coleman stove. He traded the Coleman stove for a generator that didn't work. He fixed the generator, and then he traded that for an uh, electric sign and a keg of something. And then he traded that for a snowmobile. And 14 trades later, one year later, he traded a walk-on part for a Hollywood movie to the city of Saskatchewan, and they gave him a house. And he wrote a book that's called One Red Paperclip. Now, let me ask you a question. Is this clip looking better to you? Some of you are saying, gosh, I just threw away a house this week. But it's so easy to discard what seems to be so small and to see it as so little in value. And it may be that you're here today and you could say something like, how could God use me? Why would God want to use my life? How could I make a difference? How could I make an impact on anybody else or do anything that would have tremendous value in the kingdom of God? And I want you to hear something. I want you to hear this clearly. God has a plan for you, and God wants you to engage in what he has called you to so that you can know the wonder of being faithful and what happens when you trust him with what you have. Elisha asked her, what do you have? And her response was, just a little jar of oil. Look what he said in verse 3. 
Then he said, go outside. Borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And one is full, set it aside. And that brings up the third question, which is this. What will she do? Because it could be that she could have looked at Elijah and she could have said, hey, you've got a bag of money. Just give me some cash. She could have said, that makes no sense. What do you mean, go gather a bunch of vessels and pour the oil? What are you talking about? The question was simple. What will she do? What will she do with what the Lord has told her to do? What would she do in response to the instruction that has been given to her? Will she obey what God has said for her to do? Or will she say, no, I'd rather do it my way? Will she get locked into my will or thy will? Is she willing to trust the Lord? You see, we are always facing that question. Am I going to trust God's direction or I'm going to go my own way? Am I going to trust what God's Word tells me clearly, or am I going to spend my life spinning inside my own wisdom? What would she do? Would she follow God's will or her will? That is always the choice that you and I face. Every day. Every day. His will or my will. Look at 2 Kings 4, verse 5. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons, and she poured, and they brought vessels to her. And when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there's not any others. And then the oil stopped flowing. And she came and told the man of God, and he said, go, sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on the rest. And I wonder... I wonder if in that moment she was more excited about what God had told her to do than she was when she first heard it. Because she said, yes, God did an amazing work. And I have to ask myself, will I be that faithful with what God's given me? Will I be that faithful with what is in my hand? Will I be that faithful with what God has already entrusted me with? Or am I going to be waiting for when things are perfect before I obey him? Will I be waiting till I'm feeling secure before I trust him? Or am I just going to say, God, I trust you. I trust you. I'm going to do what you tell me to do. You see, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And literally, the Bible tells us that before we came to know Christ, that God anticipated the day that we would embrace Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And that he literally has a plan. He has works. He has instruction for you that is waiting for that day when you say yes to Jesus so he can then bring you along and grow you into the likeness of his son and your life can be exploded into this world as a life that has demonstrated what it means to fully follow Jesus. You don't get saved and God says, well, what am I going to do with you now? I'm telling you, he's ready. 
He has a plan for your life. He wants to do some amazing things with you. No matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, no matter how short a time you've been a believer, he has a plan for you. But then I think about this paperclip, and, and, and I wonder what would happen if this paperclip, well, could I ask you to do something for me? Could you suspend reality for just a minute? Just suspend reality for a moment. And let's pretend that paperclips could talk. Now, I know they don't talk. If you think they talk, we have help for you after the service. But what if a paperclip could talk? And as I reached into my drawer and I pulled out a paperclip, it looked at me and it said this, Hey, buddy, I want to be clear with you. I'm a paperclip. I've talked to my other paperclip buddies, and a lot of them have been used in ways that we're not intended for. So I want to make sure you understand that if you're not going to put me with paper, don't you dare bend me or put me in any dark place. I'm a paperclip. You know, if a paperclip said that to me, I'd look at it and say, oh, bless your heart. <laughs> I was thinking about putting you with paper, but now I have a different purpose. I'm going to help you understand whose clip you are. <laughs> because it's my paper clip. I want you to hear something. You're not a paper clip. You're precious to the Lord. Now he does believe, and his word is clear, that you were bought with a price. You're not your own. That when you come to believe in Christ as your Lord and Savior, you become His. And He is there to direct you and to lead you and to conform you to the image of His Son. But it's not because God is whimsical, it's because you're precious. The Bible says in Romans 5 verse 8, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That while I was in, at odds with God, God was not at odds with me. And that he loves me. And that he sent his son to die for me. And he sent his son to die for you. So that if we would embrace Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And ask him to come into our heart and forgive our sin. That the God of the universe who literally walked this earth in sinless perfection mounted a cross by his choice, became sin for us and took on its penalty and died and was buried and was resurrected so that under no other name is it given in heaven or on earth by which you must be saved except for the name of Jesus. That's who loves you. That's who loves you. And you know something? One thing I know, I know that if anybody ever asked her two sons, do you really believe that God works today? Do you think that God is real? I think they would look at him and say, come to my house. Let me show you a jar of oil. 
Let me show you what God did in this place. See, I don't think they struggled at all in believing. Matter of fact, I will tell you as a parent, as a grandparent, as someone that's invested in the lives of children, that is invested in the lives of people, and I'm talking about you as I look at you, I want you to hear that when you make good choices and you are doing that which God has called you to, and you're trusting him with what you have, that that choice ripples well beyond your, your life. It impacts your children, their children. It impacts your neighbors. It impacts people around you because there is always, always a commitment on God's part to highlight his children who are being faithful. He loves to point people that way so they can see the wonder of what it means to follow Christ. They didn't struggle in their faith. But I do think, I do think late at night sometimes as they were sitting around the fire and they were talking, I do think there was one more question. One more question. And that was, why didn't we get more pots? Why don't we get more pots? Because I want you to hear something about the blessings of God. The Bible promises, and as you look up the blessings of God all through Scripture, you never see God kind of bless them. God gave them some blessing. Literally, the Bible, when it talks about blessing, it talks about overflowing. It talks about not even being able to capture it all. And it's not just because God is being generous towards you. It's because God never gives you a blessing just for you. He wants everybody around you to get blessed and to experience the wonder of who his son is. They just wanted to know, why didn't we get more pot? You see, what I do now directly impacts what happens next in my life. For some of you, there are decisions that you have been facing and you have been waiting and waiting and waiting. And today is the time to take that decision to a place of action. Some of you have looked at Jesus and said, one day I'm going to trust in Jesus. One day I'll accept Christ as my Savior. Not today, but one day. And I just want to ask you, what keeps one day from not being today? What has the Lord spoken to you? What has the Lord been telling you, drawing you to? And it's time for today to be the day that you say yes. That you say yes to him. I want to read again from Ephesians chapter 2, but I'm going to jump back a couple of verses to verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. It's not the result of work so that no one may boast. You hear that? It's a gift. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's out of his character that he gives it. God not only wants to save you, God wants to know you. He wants you to know him, and he wants you to be faithful in walking with him in the works that he has appointed for you to do since the beginning of time. As you make a difference, one choice at a time, because you said yes. What are you holding on to? that you need to let go of? What have you dismissed that you need to embrace? 
What is Jesus saying to your heart today? Would you bow your heads with me? For some of us, the choice in front of us is a choice to know Christ as Savior. And we would love to talk to you about that decision. I can talk to you here. I can talk to you after the service. We have other folks that would be ready to do that as well. Some of you need to follow the example that you saw in that baptism of someone that, that said, it's time for me to move forward in being faithful and take the step of obedience. I know Jesus, but it's time for me to proclaim to the world through baptism that I belong to him. It could be that some of you, God's been calling you into ministry, and you've been fighting that, you've been dismissing that, but God has called you. And it's time to lay that down and to yield to him. It could be there was a place of service. There may be just the need to go say hello to a neighbor. I, I don't know what it is, but I know this. The Holy Spirit's been speaking into your heart. Are you ready to say yes? Lord Jesus, here we are. Lord, you know each of our hearts. You know the things that we need to release to you, yield to you, trust you in. Some of us are here, Lord, and our day, our world is completely different than it was a week ago. Things have happened in our family. Things have happened at our workplace. We're in school. Things have happened. And Lord, we're just asking, where are you? And God, we're coming to you with a need, a real need, and we're asking you, God, to intervene. We're asking you to show us who you are, to give us the opportunity to be faithful in our response to you. So, Father, I pray that inside this church family in this next few moments as we seek to be ministered to by, by those that are around us, by your Spirit flowing through us, we pray, God, that we would have a heart open to you. May we have the courage to say yes to what you've been telling us that it's time for us to do. For we pray in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.